This is Hawaii Rising, a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund. I'm Kenji Cataldo. I'm Suyuno Amos. Each week, we'll be talking story with grassroots community organizers at the forefront of progressive movements for change in Hawaii. Over this series, we're featuring the 30 grantees who received community-raised funds through the Hawaii People's Fund this year. It's our biggest cohort to date, and we're so excited to share their stories with you. Today, we're sharing our interview with Satiro Paul from the Chuuk Language and Culture Association, which offers language and cultural education for the growing Chuukis community in Hawaii. Before moving to Hawaii, Satiro was a longtime senator representing Chuuk within the Federated States of Micronesia. He shared about the unique political status of Chuukis and other Micronesian people through the Compact of Free Association, or COFA, which the U.S. signed with the Federated States of Micronesia, the Republic of the Marshall Islands, and the Republic of Palau. We met with Satira last December at Hawaii Plantation Village in Waipahu, where the Chuuk Language and Culture Association built an Uterek, a thatched Chuuki structure with many functions, as you'll hear in just a minute. Okay, so here we are. We are sitting in the Uterek with Satiro Paul of Chuuk Language and Cultural Association of Hawaii, Incorporated. And Satiro, could you introduce yourself and the organization that we're talking about today? Yes. Uh, yes, thank you for giving me the opportunity to sit with you people. And of course, my name is Satiro Paul. And I migrated here maybe some more than 10 years ago from Chuk. In Chuk, I work for the state government and the national government. I was a state senator and also a national congress in Micronesia. So when I migrated here, I was so grateful to a friend and my wife, Dr. Chushipa, eventually put me on board and I was start working with the Department of Education as a Paninko and Bicultural School Home Assistant for the Leeward District. In doing so, we create what they call Chuuk Steering Committee. The purpose of that is to address with parents uh, some of the compelling issues and problems uh, eventually they encounter during their staying here in Waipau and of course in Hawaii. So we start, we talk a little bit, and then as part of the talking, we decided to put together the so-called Chuk Language and Cultural Association of Hawaiian Cooperation. So I put together the paper, finished, and I filed at the state office, and then we were incorporated. and. Being incorporated, we were able also to apply for public assistance. And part of the effort we're trying to do, we know that many of our citizens under the Compact of Free Association with the U.S. have migrated to U.S. mainland or perhaps Hawaii, Guam, and other U.S. territory. And looking at that, I said, oh, we will eventually end up not having more people on the island, but many migrated out of Chuk. And the thing is, many of those young people, they don't speak our language anymore. They don't practice our culture anymore. And that's the purpose of us 
put together the Chuk language and cultural association of Hawaii in cooperation. Along with that, I'd like to thank Dr. Chishipa and Barbara, who is the manager of Save and Immigrant Resource Center here in Waipau. Because collaboratively, we work together. We came up with the idea of applying from Adderton Foundation, the grant, and Prell as well. So we put together the package with Prell help, came up, we awarded, and we decided to build the Uterek, which is this structure we are in right now, thanks to our plantation management, because they allow that to be happen. And that really excites us because we feel like we're part of the Hawaiian community. At least we have some contribution then and then here. Like this village, all this housing structure, these are like remnants of different culture background, like China, Japan, Okinawa, Korea, Philippines, and other countries, maybe eight, include Hawaii itself. And when we put down, when we build this structure here, we are happy that, oh, we are part of the history. Although those were maybe built in 17 or 1800, something like that, but this one was built in 2000, I think 16 or 17. And we're really happy. This Uterek, when we built it, we inaugurated. In, uh, I think some, sometime in July 2017. And we have many friends, relatives, thanks to the chairman of the board here, because he is very, very helpful for us to put together the structure. And like the first renovation, after four years, we work change the leaves. And i like to thank Hawaii people for their assistance because we're very short in terms of funding to rebuild, not rebuild, but renovate or change the roofs for this. And specifically, i like to thank Mickey for her heart because without her, we probably were not able to complete as we planned the Uterek and hopefully after maybe five years, 2000, 2025, the leaves will be replaced. That's if wind does not tear down the structure itself, but we were hoping that the leaves, what we have for the roofs would eventually take us to 2025. I think this is the, uh, I mean, general overview of myself and I'm very happy to be answer any question and I'm very happy for this opportunity that uh, you guys came here for and here we are at the Chukis Uterek in Waibao, Hawaii. Thank you. Thank you for that, Satira. For our listeners, could you describe the Uterek and tell us a little bit about what they would look like back in Chuk, because I know you were telling us beforehand that this one might be a little bit smaller than the ones yes. back there. I think what happened, the Uterek, like I say, Chuk is made up of so many highlands. We have Lagoon Highland, which is more westernized. Eh? 
and we have what they call outer island chuk. Yeah? So usually in the old days, Nogun and outer island, we use Uterek type structure. Why is Uterek? Because Uterek used for many purposes. Used for sleeping quarters for young people, used for meeting, used for schooling. Schooling, I'm alluding to the traditional skills. This is where they learn, learning skills. You, I, I'm saying dancing because the bigger Uterek, oh, they, everybody else come, they have feast and they have dancing. And they also use to put the bigger canoe, you know, the Outruga canoe that they go a thousand or hundred miles from Chuk to Guam or Chaban or where, somewhere. They put the, the big canoes there, shelter from raining and sun to protect. Yeah. So Uterek, this is not a big Uterek as compared with the big, bigger ones. They're really, really big. Because imagine if they fit those big canoes, eh? uh, they have the canoes and other part of the Uterek, people can come in, in and meeting. And Uterek, it doesn't cost you anything back on the island because we have the wood, we have the leaves, we have the, what they call the strings they use because we just tie things. We don't use, use modern uh, equipment or modern stuff. And I like the one back home because the, the main uh, part of the building is big. You know, the electric pole, these are big. These are not comparable to what they have back home. But this, they do it handmade. They build it handmade. And I know Interestingly, they know how to tie ropes around stuff. They build up structure just to pull. Eh? They just do all this pulling. I like here, he used this, uh, what they call, pulling trucks or pulling trucks sometimes to pull up a heavy portion or part of the structure. But back on the island, no. And in the lagoon, not too many Uterek like this. Yes, we have very, very small one, but for cooking only. Sometimes they sleep inside. But outer island, you still have plenty. Why? Because for the canoe and for other activities. But they build it by the ocean side. So the sugar canoe can easily, when they pull it inside, they can pull in the Uterek. Was it difficult to find people who knew how to build it? Well, I think uh, that's part of the teaching because, you know, back on the island, if you know how, then you have to show other, especially the young one, because it has to best on to the next generation. So we have young people, they are mastering as to how to build Uterek because the older ones are passed on that skill to the young generation. Mm. But like I say, Chugi is made up of so many islands and outer islands, part of Chuk, they still have plenty Uterek. Did you find that there were, were there people involved in when this structure was being built who were able to learn those skills for the first time? Uh, of course, you know, this is 
part of the schooling. We have our children here, the one that uh, part of our Waipau cultural school. The students are sitting on the table while they are performing because we have outlined as to the steps, how to build it, because that's part of the learning. And it's part of the Uterek as a name and as a purpose that's included in our, it's, a, it's not a curriculum itself, but building Uterek itself, what are the steps as to how to build, which one to go first, and what's the purpose of that part of the Uterek. So this has given to the students, because eventually the idea here to pass on the names and the purpose on each part of the Uterek to the next generation. Yes, but our major problem is we cannot find the right wood because all these are small. See, we put support, but we don't need support back then because we cut down big. Yeah? And here, if you go cut things, you may get jail for, but back on the island, you don't get jail. You just go, can I get this? Yeah, get it. But here, everything is... You have to has or go through all these red tapes and legal remedies in order to get it, but back on China, no problem. Mm. Could you tell us about some of the educational programming that you run in this space for for students or for ch you know for children who are yeah. coming to learn from you? We of course have a curriculum itself. It's both in English and Chukis. And uh, what our teachers, the teachers that I recruited, they were like retirees back in Chuk. They used to be educators back on the island in Chuk, but they retired and migrated. Some, some we hired locally, but they're Chukis. So what they were teaching is they follow the curriculum that we have. Like we have the curriculum, we, they start out with the alphabet, because we do have an alphabet in Chuk and we have the spelling, and we have the names, something like that. It's, uh, I think even myself, sometimes I, uh, I feel like it's important because um, our curriculum itself, like the teacher don't just come and teach. They have to go through some sort of uh, workshop, and then they start practicing. Uh, our school is open from kindergarten to 12th graders, but we're also open for those that they really don't speak the language. So sometimes at home, even parents, they don't speak Chukis to their kids anymore. They're more Westernized, you know. They just speak them, uh, the English language. So when we bring them here, oh, it's like start all over again. Very, very difficult, but I think uh, we have this curriculum that uh, in position, and this is the one that they follow. And along with that, we uh, they were teaching them some words, courtesy, like greetings, uh, some sort of like vocabularies, uh, the main words that we're using in Chuk, uh, some courtesy language, 
these of expression also. Those are the, uh, aside from and names of many things, and how to how to use the word itself. It's like in grammar, eh? we're also teaching that, because sometimes when, for example, some of the kids, when they're supposed to say, uh, like in Chu, say, ube monga, ube monga means ube monga rice, I want to eat rice. Instead of say ube monga, they say ube ojoch. Ojoch means you can ojoch chicken, but not ojoch rice. So it's not easy for the young ones because it's like, but I think the determination that we have with our teacher, I know we can overcome all the difficulties. So I'm really pushing for that. Hopefully uh, we can find some grant somewhere because we're really shooting for January 14 to start four schools. One here in Waipahu, hopefully one in KPT area, Kalihi, and one downtown in Honolulu area, and one in Waianae. These are the four Chuk language and cultural school we like to start at now. What kind of changes do you see in the children as they're learning the language, as they get better at it? This is what happened. You know, I grew up in a Micronesian, Chukish cultural. It's much different because I, I said our culture has a lot to do. We, we value respect so much in our culture. And I alluding to the fact that's why many kids are having problem, Chukish kids, because they're lacking about our culture. Because our culture, they teach respect most of the time, not only to the parents, but to the elder people. Our culture is different from Western culture because we believe in sharing, working together. We believe in extended family, unlike Western culture. They believe in looking at family. There is no such thing as homeless in Chuk. Why? Because everybody else, we live together, relatives. But when we migrated here, oh shoot, it's like just one family and their siblings, I mean kids and things like that, children. Yeah? And that's why, like, you don't see homeless in Chu. You don't feel helpless in Chu. Because when you need people to help everybody else. We believe in sharing, even food. You know, in Chuk, it's, it doesn't look good for the culture itself and the custom. When people are, when you're eating and somebody walk by, but you just eating, you just eat, you don't invite. The culture is to invite. Invite somebody to join. I work here in a way. I don't, I was not feeling really comfortable when I walk by people are reading things like that because that's not the way I grew up. Socialization is very, very important in our culture. And I know the kids 
the parents has to really focus because they will believe in sharing, sharing, working together, eat together, live together. There is no such thing as uncle, auntie, cousins, because like myself, I have my mother and my mother, sister, they're not my auntie, but they're also my mother. If her name is Jane, I just say, Mama Jane. I just say, I'm not saying Andy Jane. Brother and sister, uh, cousins, no. Oh, brother and sister. We say brother and sisters. I think that's make us so close together because of we value that. But when you say, oh, he's my cousin, he's my, I think that start to break down all the, tightness and the relationship itself. And on the island, like I say, when you said, you don't hear people say, uncle, so, Papa, John, like somebody's brother of my father. I'm not saying uncle, but I say, Papa. Sometimes when my real father here, I have to, Papa John, if his name is John. But their father just say, Papa. Likewise, the mama. So that's the thing we're trying to uh, instinct in the mind of the young ones, that believe in our culture, respect elderly, believe in sharing, believe in working together, believe in eating together, uh, you know. So I think most of these under the Westernization are no longer in existence, and maybe that's creating also a lot of problems because togetherness never exists. Likewise, what has been practiced on the island way back then. You mentioned the Compact of Free Association, which is something that I've just been learning about recently. But I wonder if you could ex uh, tell us a little bit of that history of how the compact came about and what that means for um, people in terms of migration and coming to the U.S. to study and other things like that. I thank you for that because when I was a state senator, I was involved in the uh, compact itself, not to the negotiation, but personally, uh, I represent the state when we focally discuss most of the issue. And if you know, like, Chuk was part of the former, what they call, trust territory of the Pacific Island district, within, which include the Mariana Island, Palau, Merson Island, Pompeii, Kursai, and Iap. Those are the six so-called districts under the administration of what they call I commissioner appointed by the U.S. president. And I think in the 70s, leaders throughout Thailand start to think about go to a new political status, seeking a new political status. So it was formulated in the 70s, the idea of federated state of Micronesia to be seeded, uh, become an independent country. So I think in 1974 or five, they start what they call constitutional convention, something like that. And eventually, representative from all those six districts, what they did was when they put together 
what's to be in the constitution of the federation. Uh, there were disagreement, some sort of like that. I think uh, from those disagreement, the Mariana Island decided to go Commonwealth to the United States. That's how it happened. So Mariana Island, which includes Saipan, Tinian, and Rota, although they're still part of the convention, but they went and uh, decided to go to a plebiscite, and they picked Commonwealth to the United States. And when the finalization of the others left, I had the, the thinking that our delegation thought that Mar Palau and Marshall Island may be still in the Federation of Micronesia. Unfortunately, that was not the case. So while they were still part of it, they decided separately to go on their own. And that's how it happened. They rejected the plebiscite, uh, Palau and Marshall Island. And only Chuk, Pompei, and Yap, and Kusai came in as a new state at that time. So Chuk, I think uh, in 1979, ratified constitution to become. And after 79, maybe up 10 years, then President Reagan, 1986 or 87, they accepted, they terminate the trusteeship or something to that effect. So those four states become what they call Federated State of Micronesia. And Palau left and become Republic of Palau. Marshall Island left, become Republic of the Marshall Island. Mariana, Commonwealth of the Northern Mariana. And what's so interesting about the original compact, the original compact set up, what Uncle Sam did was just get a chunk of money and like give to our national government because we of course have a national government in FSM. So the chunk of money was apportioned based on population to the four states in the federation. And part of that Uncle Sam funding uh, in exchange for what they call tenure rights. Tenure rights is for the United States to have military in our island. Use it for our island, they got tenure rights. They will allow us to freely migrate to the United States. Anybody can migrate as they wish, as long as they have proper documents to migrate. Unlike before, I, I went to school in the mainland under a TTPI student. It was trick. I use what they call I-20. When I went to the school, I don't have to work. Otherwise, they will deport you. Under the comeback of free association, you can come and go. Very free. You are eligible for all assistance. School assistance, medical assistance. And that's in the agreement under the comeback of free association right now. In exchange for that, tenure rights back on the island. So that's make many of our people and the influx of Micronesians or Chukis to America. I said 
I for one, I said, maybe after 20 years, nobody will be on, on the island. Maybe chicken and dogs will be left over. And those disabled one, people might seek for better life, more job opportunity, more medical assistance, something like that. So this, I like the compact itself, but the sad thing about many people are leaving our island. Many educated ones, once they come to school here, they cut the education, they don't go back there, they live here. I like during the TTPI time, you complete school, you go back. Why? Because as part of the agreement, when you get scholarship, that when you finish school, you come back and help in the formulation of the new government and things like that. So come back is good in a way, but I think on the other hand, has a lot of negative impact to our people and to our no-core economy and the development of our island. And first compact was 15 years old. The second will be expired. The second compact, uh, not compact, second part, because 15, 20. And under these 20 years compact, that's where I really involved. I was a state senator representing Chuk. And uh, we talked a little bit about all the changes on the second 20 years part. Because I said, I don't believe in the fact that US will give us, and they dictate us to how to use the money. I like before, the first 15 years. Have to like proposal, something like that. Eh? And I said, oh, the money is not enough because they're only focusing on improving what has been exist but most of thailand in Chuk, like where i came from in the lagoon oh we walk no road no lights no sewer no nothing i say us shouldn't do that why because they is establish an account uh, i forgot what they call the account trust fund let's say if they get ten dollars every year two dollars of that ten dollars should go do what they call trust fund in Washington, Chemco, three US to Micronesian. The two dollars can go there and will stay under after 20 years. Our country, if I say we not as Uncle Sam for money anymore because they will use what has been deducted out, out of the annual allocations. So the third, the second part will be expired in 2023. They can, some people are mistaken because they say the comeback will be expired. No, it's only the portion, the part that deals with the financial assistance. That's the one negotiated for 15 years, so 15 years and then the 20 years. Eh? So that's the only part that will be expired. But the comeback itself is a perpetual comeback between two independent countries. Is there anything right now on the table for the renewal of the of those portions of the compact relating to the finances or any changes that people are proposing? When I was in Congress, I represent the entire Chuk state as their national congressman. Uh, that time, you know, our island location, the, they call strategic value, was high in the old Cold War between America and Soviet Union. But 
when souvenirs was crumbled down, the strategic value of, of an island was really down. Okay? So they say no money. Unlike what happened when North Korea, Iran, China are really coming strong. Our strategic value has boom coming up again. And United States federal government has become very sensitive to us. So if, during those time, former President Trump sent his Secretary of State, first time ministry of our country, went to Micronesia to meet up to uh, make our relationship strong once again. And the president was also inviting the three president of the freely associated state, Palau, Marshall Island, and FSM2. I think Washington DC at that time, when they realized that, or oh, maybe we'll make a mistake. We don't think this country has still have some strategic value. So I don't know as to what will be the approach from our current leaders, but from FSM side, I know that they say Two years ago, our, our president has formulated a negotiating group. So I'm not so sure. I don't really follow up with politics. I've been there almost 30 years as a senator and as a congressman. So I'm more focusing with other activities. But uh, I hope that uh, the renegotiation may include some new funding assistance alike from what they put in the trust fund, because that will not be enough to take care of our problem. But plus the investment sometimes, when it's down, eh, then you may lose a lot of money. I think some 10 years ago, we lost about 5 million from our investment. So they still try to make up the lost one, you know. So let's hope that whoever negotiating for our group will eventually come up with some new cash for our country. Mm. So what brought you here was education? When you came here to go to school or was okay. something else? No. I was still a congressman when I came here. My only son had a medical issue. He has what they, I forgot what the problem, but his heart, his lungs was, cannot take oxygen anymore. So we came here, I forgot, he passed away in 2000, I think 13 or something like that. So I came with my wife and him, you know, and so my wife was a classroom teacher. I was a national congressman in FSM when we came, migrated here because of that very purpose. I lost my election four years after that because see, I just came and enjoy myself in Hawaii. But they really don't know that that was the root of our family problem. So we came, they were trying to save my son. Unfortunately, maybe he lives like five years. Things did not work out. I have only one son. That's why we really sacrifice so much with the hope that they will recover, but uh, that it didn't work out. But thanks to our Lord that he has two, two kids 
and I have two grandkids. Those grandkids of mine, one was three years old and one was one year old when their father passed away. And one now is in high school and one now is in intermediate. And that's the reason we migrated. To be honest, I would never migrate from Chuk. I enjoy myself and I live a happy life. Even if I don't have money, I can't able to go walk around my island, get food free. And like here, we have to struggle. We have to find jobs to meet the ends. So it was not a choice at that time for me to migrate. After all, I spent most of my time in the US mainland. My wife, I met her in Tennessee. She's also part of the DTPI group that we, we went to the mainland. So I would never move had my son was not into that situation. But uh, our staying here, we want to educate. We want to make sure our grandkids get the education here before we move on to the next life. <laughs> so your grandkids are here? Yeah. And you think once they've gone through school, you might go back yes. eventually? Yes, eventually. I told them if they successfully complete their school, we like to go back. Is there anything else that you that you want to share that we haven't talked about or that you want to talk about more? As the newest migrants, I know sometimes we may feel that uh, we do not get the recognition as we should be. Some elements within our group say, oh, they look down on us. Uh, honestly speaking, when I first came to I, I feel that way too. But I don't stop there. I really challenge that. And in doing so, we need friends like you group, you people. And like I say, I thank Mickey because without her help, we probably would not be able to sit under this roof right now, but with that. So, contact us communicate it to us, uh, identify uh, groups that are providing assistance that we can put together some sort of application or proposal, something like that. And I really value our school. If we don't do it, I'm sorry, but we may lose our language and culture, but it's never too, too late to start now. Thank you for the opportunity and God bless you and bless Hawaii. Hawaii, what's the full word? Hawaii. Hawaii People's Fund. Yeah. And God bless my friend Mickey <laughs> and you too. Yes, thank you for yeah. talking with us today. Yeah, thank you. Hawaii Rising is a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund produced by me and me with additional support from Mickey. Our theme music is Revolutionary from the band Ukla the Mock, written and sung by Mickey Hui Hui. Production of this podcast is supported by a fellowship from Princeton University. Thank you to our community donors and to you, our audience, for listening. 
In our next episode, we'll be speaking with Mauna Kea Education and Awareness. Mauna Kea, because of its location, because of its importance, because of who it is in our genealogy, taught us how to stand. You don't want to miss it.